We're going to begin our study in the book of Romans. Uh, the last three weeks prior to this Sunday, we have been discussing problems that exist in our lives, anxiety, burdens. And what we're going to do in our study of Romans, you're going to see where these issues continuously come up and how God gives us direction of how to handle those things. Romans is a book or a letter that has triggered Reformation movements. The Protestant Reformation movement, the Evangelical Reformation movement, the American Reformation movement, all were triggered through a study of Romans. It's a book that has been called the Manifesto of the Christian Life. You have the good news and you have the bad news that Paul is going to be talking about. The New Testament <clears throat> has been divided into four categories by scholars. The first would be the life and the teachings of Jesus, which are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The historical account of the birth and early growth of the church is in Acts. The third category is what we call the epistles, the correspondence of, to churches concerning problems and situations that they were having. And there will be Romans until you get to the book of Revelation. Then Revelation deals with the second coming of Christ, the fulfillment of prophecy and the wrath of God poured out on Satan. And so we are beginning a study of Romans we're going to look at certain things I'd like for you to pay attention to. So if you do have the Uversion app on your phone or tablets, you may turn there and follow along with the outline that is there. In Romans, the word God occurs 153 times. That's more than any other New Testament book. That's an average of once every 46 words God is mentioned. The word law appears 68 times. The word righteousness appears 66 times. And the word faith, 62 times. So if you look at these key terms, you get an idea what the theme of Romans is. It is how we are made righteous before God by faith. The theme of Romans is how we are made righteous before God by faith. So as we look at... <clears throat> Chapter 1, if you would just look down at verse 16 and 17, here is the summary statement for the entire book. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This is the emphasis of the entire book. When Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk, began his struggle over his burden of sin, and he was so burdened by his sin that even 
the minute things in life were a burden to him because of the way he'd been taught and conditioned. You know, legalism does that. And he was going to confession so many times that the priest here in his confession told him, you need to go out and commit a really serious sin because this is driving me crazy, you coming every day. But Martin Luther suffered from a burden. Many of us suffer from burdens. And when he began studying the book of Romans, he came across the passages of Romans 1, 16 through 17, which we've just read. And he had a hang-up about this verse. And the hang-up was the phrase, the righteousness of God. Because the way he was taught and the way he believed at that period of time was that God was righteous and the righteousness of God is the same righteousness that God uses to punish the unrighteous. You understand what I was saying there? That the righteousness of God is what God uses in his righteousness to punish the unrighteous. And there's a phrase that came about from this belief called negative righteousness. Where righteousness is used as an excuse to punish. And as we go through the book of the first chapter of Romans, we're going to see something entirely different from that. You see, Paul is going to talk about the righteousness of God. And he wasn't speaking about a righteous judging an unrighteous world as much as he's talking about the righteous God imputing or crediting righteousness to an unworthy world by faith. See, God uses his righteousness to forgive. He forgives sinners. And that's the correct interpretation. Romans 4, I'm skipping ahead, but this is important in our introduction. Romans 4, verses 4 through 8. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Romans refutes legalism. The book of Romans refutes the idea that you can earn your way into heaven, that your works make you righteous. And Romans is a book that released me from legalism. A world in which you don't think you can ever do anything right enough, so why try? But see, right here in verse 5, but people are counted right as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yea, for the joy of those who record the Lord has cleared of sin. God justifies the ungodly. There's nothing I can do to make myself righteous. So it's on the basis of Jesus' righteousness that God, that God accepts us. He accepts us as His children. And this is called justification. And these are things we're going to be hitting on in this book. The book of Romans is divided into four categories. The first being the wrath of God. Uh, midway through chapter 1 through 
chapter 3, verse 20. The grace of God, beginning in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through chapter 8, verse 39. The plan of God, chapters 9 through 11, and the will of God, chapters 12 through 16. So as we begin verse 1, we see how Paul introduces himself. Verse 1, this letter from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Paul is introducing himself because this is a unique situation for Paul. He had never been to that church in Rome. This was one time he had not, that he, he is writing a letter to a place he had not helped establish. This church was already there. Christians were already there, so he's introducing himself. Verse 2, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the, king, the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul is teaching that the center of Christianity is not a moral system. It's not a teaching. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center of Christianity. And this book emphasizes this point, that the righteousness of God is given to us by our faith in Christ Jesus. So in verse 7, if you look down to verse 7, Paul says, I'm, the, he said, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. We see that time and time, that phrase time and time again from Paul. He always prays that grace and peace will be given to the people he's writing to. Verse 15, I'm so eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. We remember in our study of Acts that Paul, it was a burning desire within him to go to Rome. And God kept telling him, you've got to wait. You have to wait. Because there's dangers ahead. But Paul, this is what Paul really wanted to do. He wanted to go to Rome and stand at the center of the world, so to speak, the known world, and proclaim Jesus Christ. In his heart, he felt the message that he would bring through the Holy Spirit would convert many people. In verse 14, here's, we skip 14, but I want to go back to 14. 14 stresses how Paul felt. He viewed himself as a debtor because of the gospel. He says, for I have a great sense of obligation. Some versions say, I'm in debt. I have a great sense of obligation to people both in the civilized world and the rest of the world to the educated, uneducated alike. The Amplified Version says this, I have a duty to perform and a debt to pay to both Greeks and barbarians, the cultured and the uncultured, and both to the wise and the foolish. 
his sense of obligation was to share the gospel that had saved him. And so I ask, do we share that same obligation? Do we feel we have a debt to the gospel or because of the gospel to other people? This is, this is what God wants us to feel if we are relieved, if we are saved from our sin. And this is truly something in which overjoices. Why not share it? This obligation that Paul is talking about, this debt that he feels is motivating him and pushing him day by day to share God's word. It motivated him to take beatings, to be in prison, and ultimately be killed for the sake of Christ. It shouldn't be a day that goes by that we don't feel an obligation to share the gospel, to share something about Jesus. And I think we got the misconception of thinking we've got to sit down and share the entire Bible with somebody. That's not it. We're just sharing joy. It's evident when we have joy and when we don't. And people ask, how can you be joyful? Here's why. Because of my Jesus. What he's done for me. Salvation is for the taking. And grace is offered. And we need to feel obligated. Because we're the ones that are saved. We're the ones that have been delivered. And we want others to be delivered. We want others to be saved. And it's not up to the job of the pastor. It's not up to the preacher. It's not up to the elders to do this. It is our responsibility as children of God that we share this joy. And Paul, in going on verse 16, introduces the theme of the letter, which we've already talked about but quickly for I'm not ashamed with this good news about Christ it is the power of God at work key phrase key phrase it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes it's not a but and it's not a what if it says everyone who believes everyone who believes in the good news about Christ The power of God saves you from destruction. It saves you from the claws of death. It's power. For this good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. It is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Our journey is a lifelong journey. When we accept Christ, it's the beginning of our new life. We are born again. And this is a process that we go through our entire life, from start to finish until we are born again, until we breathe our last breath on this earth. It is a lifelong journey of our faith from start to finish. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. 
Paul is talking about the power of the gospel, the power of the good news. It takes somebody who is unworthy, as I was, unworthy to stand before God justified and righteous and turns me into a righteous creature. That's power. See, that's the same power that enabled Jesus to walk out of the grave, that moved that stone, he walked out of the grave and conquered death. Same power. The gospel is not advice for people. It's not a self-help book that tells you you need to lift yourself up and you need to have the power of positive thinking. The gospel is the power of God. This power lifts you up. You're not going to will yourself into that. If you think you can do enough to save yourself, you're following the wrong path. And that's what churches that are legalistic in their teaching, they're on the wrong path. Because they're making people feel they're condemned if they can't keep all the rules. But Jesus says, I give you salvation. Belief. Just believe. Commentator named Morris said this Paul does not say the gospel brings power, but that it is power, and God's power at that. And God's power comes to everyone who believes. God doesn't withhold salvation, He gives it to everyone who believes. For the, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Do you believe this statement? Do you believe that the righteousness of God is revealed through you? When you believe. See, Paul is still talking about what, he, what God does for us, not what he's going to do to us. He's doing what he's doing for us. And that's what makes us righteous. Barclay said this, it means that God treats the sinner as if he had never been a sinner at all. That's powerful. God treats me as his child as if I had never been a sinner at all. What I have done in my past is in the past. And he will never hold it against me. Because when God forgives, He forgives and He erases it. It is gone. When I come to Him, that's what He does. And as a believer, when I come to God and I say, God, I have failed. Please forgive me. God says, don't worry. I forgive you. Do you feel burdens? Do you, do you feel unworthy? Do you feel unworthy to be, to be standing in front of God? Do you feel so unworthy that you ask other people to pray for you when you can't pray for yourself? There's, 
We want others to pray for us. But I've got to be able to come to God myself. And if I feel unworthy to do that, remember this. Jesus has made you worthy. There is nothing you can do that makes you unworthy to stand before God if you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you're made worthy. You're made righteous. You're made just. Does that mean you don't have flaws? No, you have flaws. I have flaws. And we can't be burdened with guilt. We can't be burdened with our failures of the past. It's time to release that guilt because you are worthy. But life is hard. Yes, life is hard, but God has promised something much better. I will give you joy in this world because you'll be able to deal with the problems. The problems don't disappear. And the Holy Spirit brings us the power of God. So how, how does this happen? How does, how does all this take place? It's from submission. That I give over my will to God and pray, God, align my will with yours. You're going to hear it multiple times. Okay, you're going to hear this multiple times. You have to align your will with God's will. And we do that by submitting. Last week, Susan and I went to the grocery store. We're in her car. We try, we, I'm driving. I turn off 112 going on our road, and I'm driving really slow. Because my house is just there. I ain't going to sling the groceries around, break the eggs. As we turn off, I hear this truck is tailgating. Pickup truck. You just got to wait, dude. Okay? So as we turn in the driveway, I hear through rolled up windows, we hear, get off the vulgar road. Okay? I'm not going to even tell you what the vulgarity was, but it was in the worst of the worst in, in my generations book okay so my first thought I'm gonna throw this car in reverse and I'm gonna run I'm gonna I'm going and I was and then I was told you're not that guy anymore not by her And you ask, how does God, how does the Spirit work in your life? That's how. He says, you're not that guy anymore. I used to be. But I'm not that guy anymore. That's what God can do. And I'm not saying that in a way of saying, I got it all together. Because if I had it all together, I wouldn't have had the first thought of going. Okay, what I'm saying is, God can change you. Now, here we go. What we've talked about is the good news. And Paul's going to shift gears. He's going to say, here comes the bad news. 
To fully appreciate the good news, you need to understand the bad news. And so what he talks about at beginning here in verse 18 is God's wrath, God's anger. See, Paul's goal here is to demonstrate the absolute necessity of the good news of salvation. Verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And you're going, yes. Show them, God. He's talking about us, too. If we don't submit. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities his external power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now, we're, we're getting to an area of the passages that has been very confusing for a lot of people, but we want to see it for what it is and how God intended it. God shows his anger against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We fail to realize that part of the judgment of God is for Him to let people have what they want. And He's done that since man has rebelled. He did that with Satan when Satan rebelled and He kicked him out of heaven. He didn't annihilate him. He kicked him out. And all his followers, his hordes of demons. And that's the way it will continue until Christ returns and Satan is thrown into eternal prison. And as everyone who does not believe. C.S. Lewis said this about the world. The world is divided into two groups. Number one. Those who say to God, thy will be done. Number two, those who say to God, my will be done. Verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they still became utter fools. And it talks about how they created idols. Now, verse 24. Here's the tragic result of human guilt. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. To some, I read verse 24, their reading is, how can a loving God abandon? They don't know God. They don't understand God to make such a statement. Why would God abandon them to do whatever they want? Why? Because it is part of the judgment of God for Him to let people have what they want. 
That's part of the judgment. All of God's judgment is not going to take place on judgment day. That is the final. God's judgment is being handed out now. To those who live against His will, who are wicked, who are sinful. And God gives up the sin, He gives us up to the sin that our heart desires. He said, why doesn't God stop us? He allows us to make the choice. As Christians, He puts roadblocks in front of us when we start going against Him. But then we still have to make a choice. The part of the judgment is allow us to experience the self-destructive result of sin. When do we call on God the most? When do we want to turn to Him the most fervently? When, that's right, when we're in trouble. God wants us to turn to Him daily, be with Him daily, converse with Him daily, but when things are not, when we're not talking to God and we're not conversing with God and we're not putting Christ the center of our life, guess what? Things are going to happen in our life to make us turn back to Him. You see, for every rebellion and disobedience against God, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We believe Satan when he's telling us, you don't have time. You don't have time to get in God's Word, to study or listen to somebody preach the Gospel. You don't have time for that. You don't have time to sit down and talk to God one-on-one. -on -one. You don't have time for that. You're too busy. That's a lie of the devil. Now, we're wrong when we think that it is God's mercy or kindness that allows man to continue in sin. It is God's wrath that allows us to go on destroying ourselves. There are things going on right now you, you just are appalled. Watching two preteen or middle school age boys just beat a nine-year-old girl unmercifully on a school bus. Yeah, sin affects children too. The sin of adults affects children. Verse 26 again. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. The Amplified Version says this. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading and vile passions. And Paul goes on to describe in the next few verses sexual immorality, idolatrous worship, and homosexuality. Are we, why are we having discussions in our government about restrooms? That a man or a male cannot have a separate restroom from a female. Why is that even a discussion? Because of sin. And anyone who is promoting this kind of degrading Behavior is sinful, and they're wicked in their heart. 
Because that's what the scripture says. It's not what Eric Middleton's saying, it's what God is saying. So either believe in the Bible or you don't. You can't believe in parts of it and not all of it. It doesn't work that way. God said, I want all of your heart. I want all of your will. I want all of you. And we struggle to get there, I know that, but we can't believe in some parts of His Scripture and not all of it. And there are churches that won't stand for the right of God's truth. And they're going to reap the whirlwind because of it. Now, verse 28. For further judgment, God gives man over to a depraved mind. And things that are disgraceful and sickening, like I just mentioned, are accepted and approved by society. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to do the foolish thing, foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. God gave them over to depraved mind. And that depravity is very evident right now in 2023 in the United States of America. And then Paul goes on in verses 29 through 31, giving more examples against rebellion, about a rebellion against God. Verse 29, their lives became full, permeated, saturated with every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. So where does all this violence, immorality, and cruelty come from? It happens when men, when people, abandon the true knowledge of God. And the state of our society reflects God's judgment on our country. And we need to pray for revival. We need to use what we learn out of this book of Romans to push us as a church into starting a revival of getting back to God in our community. Romans chapter 1, back at verse 17, the theme of Romans. The good news is, tells us how God makes us right. In His sight, who we want to please who are we concerned about pleasing? Should be God, right? Because this gospel tells us how God makes us right in His sight. In His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith, as the scripture says, through faith that a righteous person has life. And then chapter 4, verse 5, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Paul presents the good news, and that is the saving righteousness of God. And he presents the bad news. What happens when God abandons people to do whatever they want to do? And Satan jumps right in the happy middle of that. 
God is not going to withhold salvation from anyone. But what does He ask us to do? Believe. Believe in His Son. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The answer for our sinful state. And that believing is the only requirement. That's it. Forgiveness and righteousness can be yours today. If there's still uncertainty, are you worthy? Is there still uncertainty that I have a burden that I, I can't release? Then you need to go back and read this passage again. Understand, you are made righteous before God because of the workings of Jesus Christ. It is a gift to be made worthy. No matter what you've done. The list of sin that Paul writes about in the last part here of chapter 1, you could be a part of that. We've all been a part of something there. But he said, I've done the worst of the worst. There's nothing that God won't forgive. Nothing. There's nothing that God won't rescue you from. And there's nothing that God won't deliver you from. There's nothing that God won't make you worthy of. Of coming from. You are worthy. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here now as I pray. You have the opportunity this morning to have people that love you pray with you. And let's pray. Father God, we thank you for how you make us righteous to to come to you right now and pray to you. Thank you, Father. Father, help us to feel an obligation, to feel a debt to the gospel, as Paul talks about, that we want to share it with people all around us, that we see people that are not saved and we see them as people who need your righteousness. Give us the courage to do that. But Father, right now also, give us the courage Anyone here this morning that feels unworthy, that they cast aside that feeling of being unworthy and bring that to you because you make us worthy. And Father, if there's someone who's struggling with a sin, struggling with something that is keeping them and unable to have a relationship with you, that you show them right now through the Holy, your Holy Spirit that that can be solved right now this moment at this time because it's through the power the power of your gospel the power of Jesus Christ that our sin is forgiven and we're made worthy thank you Father in Jesus name let's all stand